Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Cup Interviews, brought to you by Cup of Hemlock Theatre. I'm your host for this episode, Ryan Barakovich, and I'm joined today by a very special guest, Anthony Piccioni. He is the playwright and producer of a new play that's just about to open in New York City called One Empire Under God. And he's here today to talk about that show, which anyone in the New York area can go see live in theaters very soon. I actually want to say to our viewers who may be watching that it is in the New York area and you know, obviously there's nothing like the live experience. So if you are in the New York area or if you want to travel to the New York area, I know it's shaky because mm-hmm. COVID's still out there, you know, by all means, come join us. But having said that, we will have an online live streaming option for all 10 performances. So oh, beautiful. You know, you can watch from any part in the world. So Great. We're going to talk more about that as we go on. But yeah, Anthony Piccioni, thank you for joining me today. I'm so happy to have you here and talk to you. And I'm- I'm really excited to be here. It sounds like a really cool thing you guys are doing. I, I don't see too many theater companies out there with their own YouTube show. So um, this is pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, we're so happy to have you. And also, just as a note, we're also going to be interviewing select members of your cast, which is going to be posted mm-hmm. later this week. So there's going to be a lot of One Empire Under God content coming up. <laughs> so uh, I have to ask, to start with our favorite question, what is in your cup today? So what's in my cup today is coffee but not just coffee so i don't know if you got you can read it but i prefer my coffee on the dark side side. flip it over i'm a huge star wars fan and my mom i casually said to my mom like when i was getting her a present for christmas last year in uh the disney store because she's a huge disney disney fan i was like i sent her a picture afterwards uh, after the present and i was like you know, I know I don't really need this for Christmas or my birthday, which is like six days after. But if you want to get me something, I mean, let's say because she's my mom and she adores me. Mom, if you're listening, I love you. <laughs> she got me this. The best Christmas gift gift I've ever gotten as an adult. Beautiful. So, Well, thank you for sharing it with us. Um, as for me, I'm drinking uh, just tea, but out of my the cup cup. Hey, that's the show we're on right now. Um, <laughs> Wish I had. Yeah. I gotta get mug. Yeah, you I gotta, gotta get customized merch. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's okay. I like I like your mug choice a lot, and I'm sure James Earl Jones would be proud. Um, so let's <laughs> kind of get into this. So we like to start maybe by just having you uh, introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us about yourself. Maybe how did you first get into theater? Some of your notable previous theater or other media experiences. The floor is yours to kind of describe yourself as you please. Of course. So. Yeah, so uh, I've been writing and producing my own work in New York City for about five years now. And I moved here September 2016, which was right after college. And uh, immediately I submitted a short play I wrote in college called The End of the Line at the End, which was a dark comedy about religion. And it got it produced about two months later at Manhattan Repertory Theater, which is a small theater company here in New York. and um, it got produced and I learned gradually because these are self-producing festivals like fringe festivals is what they call them in like yeah. other parts of the world I know but you know here with independent theater like the festival circuit it used to be a big deal before COVID anyway I'm not sure how much of that will come back but at the time if you were to play whether it was a short play or a full-length play you could submit it to a festival get in pretty easily find a director cast 
crew members, stage manager, and you can put it up. And then if you're lucky enough, maybe you can take it somewhere else. And I produced a few short plays before I produced my first full length play, which was called Therapy Session with Myself. And that was sort of a semi autobiographical piece about my life and dealing with anxiety and autism spectrum disorder and a mood disorder not otherwise specialized. So I'm a triple threat in the mental health world. So, but I wrote about that. And that ran at the Crane Theater um, after a brief festival run from May 2019 until COVID. And um, it was a monthly basis, but, you know, it was it was a great show and I'm very proud of it. It's published now for anyone who wants to go out and look it, look for it and maybe produce it even. But um, and yeah, this next play is going to be my second full length play produced in New York or for that matter, anywhere else um, in terms of a full production. And yeah, I, I mean, I do a lot too. I also have my own podcast and I also have a festival called the Talking Out Festival, um, which produces plays online via Zoom. And we raise money for mental health awareness charities and such. So oh, that's beautiful. So wonderful. That's wow. me yeah, you are a jack of all trades, honestly. And what a like impressive and robust career you've had thus far. <laughs> See, the thing is, I actually don't like that term. Um, I, I, I appreciate the compliment. Don't get me wrong. Sure. Like I. But I remember talking to another playwright. Uh, his name is Alex Goldberg. Um, shout out to Alex if any chance you're listening to this. He said something about like, I'm paraphrasing what he said, but it's like, it's important not to become a jack of all trades, but a master of none. So, you know, sometimes I fill other roles, like, because, you know, I like to see certain things out there in the world, like as pretentious as that sounds. And also I like to have fun. Yeah, of course. But, at the same time, um, you know, I, I've always been a writer first and foremost and, you know, and yeah. So, but thank you though. Oh yes. Uh, apologies like, if you don't care I'm for the term. Well. Obviously it was meant as a compliment. <laughs> I like to think I'm doing well. Yeah, I like you, to think I'm doing well. So, yeah, by the sounds know. of it, you certainly are. And well, we're here today to talk majorly about the new play that you have coming up, One Empire Under God, which I have had the good pleasure of reading the script. Thank you for sending it. Uh, of course. And, I'd love to just uh, begin our uh, One Empire discussion by just letting you describe the play. How how would you describe what's the elevator pitch for anyone who you'd like to entice to see it? The elevator pitch, okay. Um, so the I would say if you like science fiction, if you like political drama, then you should come see One Empire Under God. If I were on an elevator with a random stranger and they asked me about my off-Broadway play, I would say, like... If you're into political drama or science fiction, you should come see it. Then, you know, just because I want as many people to come see it as possible. In terms of like the broader plot, though, it's, it's, it's really okay. So I'll start by saying it takes place centuries in the future, right? So right there, we're kind of getting a picture of what's going on. So we're assuming people have survived climate change. We're assuming that the type of social media technologies we're using today, whether it's YouTube or Zoom, Facebook, Instagram, those are all antiques. They've been replaced. The problem, though, is as automation and as technology advances, are there people who get left behind? Now, in this particular timeline, hundreds of years in the future, there are quite a people who get left behind. And what happens is there is a young man by the name of Damien Cunningham who has his own virtue cast 
virtual media is a big thing in this future. And he basically tells people like a story of how like things are going wrong in this country, which is led by an openly atheist president. If we rally together around evangelical Christianity, like, and I, and you know, like a lot of our, your viewers might be Christian. So I want to specify, like, I'm talking like Westboro Baptist church type people. Okay. So like, and so this is basically the story of what happens when that type of mentality take comes to power. And, you know, it's crazy. Like, cause I, there's so many great anti-authoritarian stories out there. Like, obviously like Orwell comes to mind, you know, there's be for vendetta there's it can't happen here which is a wonderful play but you know like there hasn't been too many plays i've noticed that talk about it in a more modern context like you know like here in my home country in the united states like you know i don't know how true this is in canada but i know with america i know it's true to some extent in britain um the religious right has had a grip on our politics for the past 40 years or so and it's been extremely dangerous. Like, I, I was born in the 90s. I grew up in the 2000s. I'm old enough to remember, like, people framing the war on terror as a clash between Christianity and Islam. And, you know, like, being someone who is of mixed heritage when it comes to religion. You know, my ancestors were 75% Catholic, but 25% Jewish. So, you know, there's a bit of that going on. Like, okay, so I have a bit of a mixed identity when it comes to my heritage so to speak in terms of religion what does it mean if i have leadership that says christianity is the main dominant ideology or religion of america what does it mean to me when i hear people say that when they want to force those views on others and you know i with each passing year with each passing day i wonder how much worse can it get people keep saying that this is the worst it can get and then it gets worse. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Thank you for such a, such an interesting description. And, like, yeah, <laughs> that was a bit of a long answer to your question. But, well, it's okay. Yeah, Thankfully but... we are not in an elevator and you could take as much time as you want. So um, I, yeah, it was great. I mean, I, yeah, but yeah, political drama, science fiction. If I didn't have time to go on that long tangent, I would no. just say, you know, come see my off-Broadway play, if you like those things. Yeah, well, it sounds great. And having read the script, I can concur that it's a very interesting piece. Um, you maybe kind of already touched on this a little in the description, but I'm curious what inspired you to write it specifically. Oh, God. I mean, um, I mean, I said, aside from like, I mean, I came up with the idea when I was in college. Hmm. It was actually originally going to be called 2776, but, you know. I didn't really like the title. So, and it was actually mainly more focused on act two than act one. Like, so that's how long ago, but like, I didn't write the proper first draft until like 2017, 2018. Like, um, there's a specific scene from 2013 that I wrote back then. And I'll not say what it is, but Ryan, I will tell you because you know the script. Um, it's the prologue. I wrote that back in 2013. And because I still think it's, like one of my, my more favorite scenes I've written, I was like, okay, I got to kick this new play off with that. Right. So I changed it a little bit. Like, I think I changed like the name of the president at the time, but you know, um, but yeah, what inspired me to write it? I mean, I, there's so many ways I can answer that. Like, um, again, like just growing up in a world where religious extremism pervades 
not just the obvious bad guys like Osama bin Laden, for example. I don't think anyone in their right mind thinks Osama bin Laden is a good guy. I think there's a consensus that there, he was a horrible human being. You want to go back further? Want to talk about Adolf Hitler? Anyone who isn't a neo-Nazi. Anyway, but like the point is, like, there's less of a consensus I notice among people who are considered the quote-unquote traditional politicians. You know, the normal politicians. They talk about them being normal, but what about their policies? is normal. What's so normal about like government wiretapping? What's so normal about wanting to, let's say in the 2000s, when I grow up, grew up to tie it back, like to outlaw gay marriage, for example, to keep prosecuting lots of people, specifically people of color because of drug crimes, like which, you know, my personal opinion, you know, you sh- there shouldn't even be a war on drugs, which we have in America. I don't know. Let me ask you, like, do you have a war on drugs in Canada? Yeah, like, it's different in a lot of ways that are probably too complex to unpack here. It's not nearly as militant, oh, but it sure, certainly does like, exist. Like, yeah. Sure, but like the point I'm trying to make is like, it's like an international issue, right? Like mm-hmm. people getting like jailed, people losing rights, like just because of who they are in a lot of cases. And just because of personal choices they might make, which, and, you know, I think that's really about it. Like in terms of my worldview, and this is what really inspired me to write the play is I've always been very skeptical of big power, whether that's government power or corporate power or religious power, like, and, you know, like my last bullying play, as I mentioned, like was kind of like an introspective type play, like me, psychoanalyze trying to psychoanalyze myself and make it somewhat relatable whereas this play this is more like my outro or extrospective mm-hmm. outrospective right my outrospective play like where i look out at the world and i try and tell people like where i think things are going in the future like if we don't do something so if we don't start taking fascism seriously and start calling it for what it is, mm-hmm. you know, like, so, I, yeah, I, that's I what have, inspired me to write the play. No, that's great. <laughs> I kind of, I have to ask, but feel free. You don't have to answer this if you're, you don't want to, but you say you kind of returned to this concept. You started workshopping in college in around 2017. And that feels started like a right significant yeah. year for talking about like, you know, fascism and religious extremism and autocracy in your country in particular. Um, to what extent, if you're comfortable answering this, would the Trump presidency have been a, a factor in your decision to write this and the way you wrote it? Oh, yeah. I mean, like, obviously, like, there's no escaping current events when you're writing a play. Like, so, Especially of course, like, satire. listen, I don't want to spoil anything, but like anyone who reads the script, like, <laughs> they'll see obvious parallels between the 2016 election and <laughs> that. So certainly like, that I will, struck my mind while I was reading it. But, yeah, yeah, no, of course. Like, listen, it's I totally get how it's hard to like not make that comparison. Like, and that's the point. The point is, okay, we already lived through an election that, you know, led to a pretty bonkers guy, to put it kindly. But things can always get worse, is what I'm saying. Like, listen, I grew up in the two thousands. I remember George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. I've had conversations with my parents who remember Reagan. My grandparents remember Nixon, you know, you know, like, I think my grandmother's first memories of like, 
were when FDR passed away in 1945, like in terms of politics. So like, you know, if my grandmother was listening, I'm hoping I'm quoting her correctly, but like, you know, so I imagine there's, she has some memory of like the Axis powers and America fighting them. So like my point being like, this is nothing new and like, it takes more than voting. I think voting is important. Don't get me wrong, but it takes a lot more than voting to really make substantive change. It takes people speaking out, like with whatever platform they have. For me, that's a writer for our cast who you're going to be talking to, as you mentioned, like it might be through their work as a performer, um, you know, and also journalists and, and dare I say it, teachers. I think there's a real responsibility to educate. It's just crazy how how stupid some people are. And that's why we need to have education so that maybe, maybe the next generation won't be as bonkers. And maybe this play will be a joke if we're still, if we're still alive in 300 years. I hope so. Well, that's, that's a pretty interesting segue into the next thing I wanted to talk to you about um, because the play is a satire. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept. It's <laughs> kind of, uh, well, I sent you the questions in advance. So even if you weren't familiar with it prior, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but were you familiar <laughs> with the concepts of Poe's Law? prior to our uh, correspondence. It's, Read it to me. Yeah, it's okay. I was planning on it for the benefit of even our viewers or listeners who are not familiar. So there's a term that's been kind of over the past couple decades gained a lot of traction in internet circles called Poe's Law, coined by someone named Nathan Poe. And I'm quoting directly from Urban Dictionary's definition of it, quote, no matter how bizarre, outrageous, or just plain idiotic a parody of a fundamentalist may seem, there will always be someone who cannot tell that it is a parody, having seen similar real ideas from real religious slash political fundamentalists, end quote. So I have to ask, and this was kind of a thought that occurred to me while I was reading your script, given the satirical nature of this play and how you do paint these very like grotesque, but quite human, I must say, portraits of these extremist political and religious fundamentalists like Damien and Darren Cunningham and Ian McDougall, to name a few of the most egregious offenders in the play. Are you at all concerned that some audience members might agree with the ideologies of these characters? And if so, have you taken any specific measures to prevent such misinterpretations? That's a very good question. Um, I mean, listen, I think if people see the basic pitch for my play they'll see a poster with a cross and a burning city i don't think anyone's gonna get the idea that i'm somehow agree with that worldview so they probably won't be coming to see my play having said that i mean listen like there's always going to be that risk there's always going to be people out there who get the wrong idea i think what matters in those situations is context like you know it's it's crazy like that i was listening to you read that ryan and I know this is a bizarre thing to think of. It might sound like, but hear me out. Um, what came to mind is um, the beginning of the South Park vaccination special that aired earlier this week. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? So like, I haven't seen you it, know, but like, I've heard I about it. That. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So if you watch it, there's like a message at the beginning, like that's, you know, usually at the beginning of most South Park episodes, there's like a usual text at the beginning of each episode. They changed the text for the first time ever. Trey Parker, Matt Stone did. And I, I don't have the wording exact in front of me, but basically what it acknowledges is that, you know, a lot of their humor in the past was very politically incorrect. And, you know, I think, I think they, it sounds to me like they probably thought to themselves like, okay, like maybe 
themes were misinterpreted and they talk about like how rather than like not talk about the fact that these themes exist like bigotry and stuff we want to shine a light and start a conversation now obviously i do that for a very different much darker way than a, a cartoon anime show might be like but you know that's what i'm trying to do a better job at like you know what i mean like trying to educate people like by also being honest about what really exists because like listen like during the trump administration there was a ton of political theater that came up and you know some of it was very good others it was not that different from anything you could get on saturday night live which you know like you know maybe some of it might have been funny but you know what does it really do at the end of the day you know what i mean like are we really addressing not just individuals but also ideologies that's the main thing that frustrated me like when when donald trump was president like now that he's out of office i'm hoping me we can have a more honest conversation not just about like specific personalities but about philosophical ideological trends and systematic trends too like that have been going on for decades that's my hope so you know but yeah a lot of people struggle like about this like you know i've I've thought about this before like you know like listen i'm a white straight cisgender man i'm i'm at the top of the privilege pyramid chain okay like of course i've had these conversations with some people and i've thought even more to myself about it like what is my role what can i do and listen like i thought about my own life experience in terms of what shaped the world for me and this is what came came up and you know i don't i don't know if censorship in these specific cases like as long as you provide context is necessary like you know i know some people might disagree like i know like you know i'm i'm keep bringing up these examples cuz you mentioned satire like but like the epic rap battles of history guys like they won't play the Darth Vader, Adolf Hitler rap battle anymore in their live shows because they don't want alt-right people to get the, to start cheering him or something. And, you know, I get that, but, you know, as long as you provide the right context and make clear that this is a battle against evil, the threat of evil that we are confronted with, mm-hmm. that's yeah. what's important. Very well said. And yeah, like it's uh, obviously I'm not trying to like do like a gotcha question or how can you possibly yeah, no, like, put this on stage because some people question. might agree with it. But yeah, like it's the very difficult needle to thread with any satirical piece. I'm sure, you know, if the term pose law existed back in the 18th century, people would have been asking it to Jonathan Swift about uh, all of his writings. Um, so, you know, yeah, I, and I, I certainly don't envy you for having to kind of balance this and uh, figure out how best to apply it. I am curious because of something you said about like wanting to educate people and having this education like as a as a key antidote. Yeah. It, let's say the people who are like evangelicals didn't happen to look at the poster or just saw the word God and got excited and happened to stumble into the show. Do you feel like do you feel like your portrayal of these matters might change their mind? Or I'm sure you hope so, but do you think you've gone that extra mile? I mean, listen. Let me put it as bluntly as I can. If you I will, I will say this directly to the camera. If you're an evangelical Christ, Christian who's watching this, who wants to watch my show, you will hate my show. Mm-hmm. You should still come see it because I want a large audience. But okay. hey, I mean, listen, there are going to be some people who see my show and hopefully will love it, mm-hmm. at least like it. There are going to be some people who hate it, though, even people who might agree with certain parts of it. And But I hope it starts a conversation. 
I'm not trying. Listen, I don't think you can, as much as I wish I could persuade the too far gone crowd out there that I'm going to be able to change their minds with this play. Like it's, it's not realistic. Nobody can like, like seriously, like how many times have we heard talk about like, okay, we need to unify after the country. Like after, excuse me, after the election, we need to unify after the election, but then we just go back to same old, same old, if not worse. How many times has that happened? Like, so listen, like I, I always say like, you can maybe change a tiny part of the world, but you can't change the whole world as an artist. Even if you're a huge, huge artist who's a lot more famous than I am, you know, like, it's just not going to happen. There are always going to be people like this unless as i said we have education systems but until then like yeah there are going to be some people who maybe if they don't agree with certain parts to play not going to change their mind having said that i have a very very hard time believing personally that anyone's going to come see this play and they're going to think to themselves oh this is glorifying evangelical christian nationalism like no one's going to come away thinking that i wanted to do that like like first of all anyone who knows anything about me knows that's not who i am but like even for those who don't like if they see the play you know i think like your views are clear that's for sure yeah i think a christian conservative who comes sees my play is much more likely to come away angry than enthusiastic about it so if they're inspired to do anything like you know they'll be inspired to like shout it shout outside the theater or something right. and i hope they do okay so let, let's see if that happens you write back to me <laughs> after the run and let me know um okay so uh you've talked a lot about the science fiction elements because it is set in the distant future and yeah that was something that struck me a lot when reading it like you know it's kind of a lot of creative like little details in the world building that you've done here so I'm kind of just curious, how did you come up with some of these more speculative elements and some that come, came to my mind in particular, but feel free to add others or like the, the elements of technology in the world. You have your, you mentioned the virtue casts. There's also the robot reporters, the I sapiens or the, and the reporters yeah. and soldiers, solar guns and solar bombs. Yeah, there's just a lot of like fun science fiction tech details. So you want to talk about some of those? Of course. Yeah, I mean, um, in terms of the I sapiens, like that's actually it started off as the last main product of revenue for Apple, mm-hmm. I sapiens. Yeah. That's like their baby that's still making them like in the twenty fifth century, like still a viable company. Mm-hmm. You know, like and they're one of the few companies like Facebook is gone by this point. Right. Like, so they're like we're not using Google anymore. So what what takes this place? of those companies like it's virtual media it's a bunch of new news companies like and like there's vmn news which is basically like you know the government funded this is assuming it's more of like a social democratic type society that america is by this point like that there's not a socialist but a social democratic at least um so that the vmn news is like the main government subsidized funding and so there's a lot of skepticism from Cunningham supporters about that but you know I always envisioned like wouldn't it be cool if like instead of TVs you could just turn on a a flick of a button and the news reporter will be right there reporting to you in your home 
they might not see you. You might not get to talk to them, but like it feels more intimate. Like that, would, I always felt like that'd be such a cool thing. You could say the same thing for live performance, for that matter. Like, you know, wouldn't it be cool if, like, instead of live streaming on Zoom or Streamyard or whatever, like, you could turn on a button, like, or a remote or something, and, and it'll feel like you're right there watching the live show in your apartment. You know what I mean? Like, so I always thought to myself, like, what if that was the future? And you know, I also thought to myself, like, what if it's maybe more well off, more or at least more, yeah, more well off, and also more urban areas like New York or LA, where these technology technological advances have come primarily, and that's where the benefits go. Because, like, and you know, that's a whole other hard thing too. Like, because you know, I thought, like, what if? Because you know, like, I live in New York City, so like, I live in a bit of a bubble. They call all it outside of middle America. So, you know, there are certain things we have here that have the rest of the country hasn't caught up to. And that leads them to demagogues like Trump or Damian Cunningham in this timeline. And so, yeah. And, um, what was the other thing? Oh yeah. And the solar guns, like, um, you know, there's a lot more clean energy and clean power. And I just felt like, you know, like what if they figured out a way to harness the energy of the sun and turn into weaponry. That'd be so cool, as opposed to like nuclear bombs or something, you know? Because like, ima- imagine that. Imagine a world where instead of threatening each other with nuclear bombs, they were threatening each other, governments, I mean, with solar bombs. Or it'd be so much more eco-friendly if we're going to have a solar war instead of a nuclear war. I'm, yeah. I'm obviously kidding. Yes, but. I can tell from your tone. <laughs> but, but no, but yeah, I think, like, thank you for kind of unpacking these a little more because i do think yeah they're very interesting like the solar bombs is such an interesting concept of we've solved climate change but we still are making weapons of mass destruction with it and exactly and like some yeah, things never change exactly. some things never change even if we can kind of finally get our stuff together in one crisis and you know look i hope we solve climate change but i hope we can do it in a way without killing other people yeah. that's what i'll say of yeah. course, yeah. Well, the the military industrial complex seems to find a way, kind of like like oh, Jurassic yeah. Park. But yeah, yeah. like the virtue casts also like you really emphasize the virtual side of it. But I thought there's also this wordplay in it that we always talk in the play about. Uh, but Damian Cunningham has his virtue cast where he preaches evangelical religiosity. So I thought, oh, virtue like virtual, but also virtual virtue like preaching virtues like this kind of religious connotation. <laughs> I, oh. I hadn't thought about that, but um, that's you know, that's a, you, that's you can thing. claim that you did. That's I won't tell anyone. <laughs> um, no, but, it's fine. You can no. you can have it. You can have it. Okay. Sure. Well, it's it's still your your term. I just projected my own additional that's- thoughts onto it. And yeah, and the iSapiens, obviously, very kind of clever that like Apple is still somehow prevalent. And also, I, I don't know if you're familiar with the company iRobot. Hey, not- yeah, I like you know, there's the company iRobot that makes the Roombas, the robot vacuum cleaners, yeah. which. And like to think of like iRobot, like the well, obviously the Isaac Asimov and the Will Smith movie that they made of it. Like, yeah, yeah. It's, it seems like, yeah, multiple different threads of technological stuff. Yeah, I just thought all these things are really clever. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, thanks for the food for thought on them. Uh, the kind of follow up question that I have to this is not every day I get asked that. So I'm glad I get to delve oh, into that. Oh, of course. Yeah. Well, my follow up question for it is given that science fiction, you know, 
is often very difficult to stage theatrically. And especially when you have these like high tech elements, you don't have the benefit of like CGI or cinematic special effects like film tends to, which is why science fiction film tends to be more prominent than mm -hmm. science fiction theater or science fiction novels, where it's all just up to the imagination to visualize it. And you don't have to think about the practicalities of staging. Have there been any challenges to staging these more science fictitious elements? We are currently, as of this recording, we may have an answer by the time people watch this, but as of this recording, um, we are currently coming up with some pretty creative ways that we're going to do it. Okay. Um, I don't want to say specifically what they are, but they, you know, they will involve some form of lighting, I will say, and possibly video projection. Okay. So we will see. Great. Well, that's very exciting. And, you know, for anyone listening, I'm sure that intrigued them enough that hopefully wet their palate to see the show. Um, we, and we can leave that at that. No problem. Um, speaking of the intersection between staging and technology, uh, I believe this show was previously workshopped at some time, I believe, last year on Zoom and had a prior presentation. Yeah. And you mentioned at the beginning of this interview that it's also going to have a digital staging or the stage show will be uh, shared digitally. Um, yeah, so... Um, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. That. No, no, please, if you want to jump in. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, um, it's basically like... It's basically like going to be a camera and like you can watch it from like wherever the camera is positioned. It'll be the live show. Right. It's going to you're going to watch the exact same thing. The audience will see the only difference is like think of it this way. Like like if it's if you compare like going to see a stand up comic in person as or watching one on Netflix. Think of it that way. Yeah. Like perfect. So. so yeah, and for the That's benefit awesome. of all of our listeners and viewers in Canada or just elsewhere in the United States or the world, it's like great opportunity to not have to, like, obviously we're all itching to see live theater in the room and be in the oh, room where it happens, but oh, we can't always yeah, yeah. travel during a pandemic and it's difficult. So yeah, good to have that option open. Uh, but to bring it back to the original Zoom workshop that you did last year, um, so how did you find the transition from staging this play in a digital space to resuming a theatrical space for it as you've done now? Oh, I mean, for my personal experience, it's been thrilling, um, both thrilling and nervous, just like, cause you know, like it's been a year and a half and like I was doing, I was producing plays nonstop, remember from like September, 2016 until what was it? March, 2020, like, mm -hmm. So, you know, I didn't really give myself a break, I realized. So, like, it was nice to have a break. But at the same time, like, a year and a half later, like, going back to my livelihood, really, like, it's been surreal. Like, I, I mean, I'm still kind of processing it a bit, to be honest. Like, I can say, like, for in terms of staging, like, that, like, I'm sure our director, Andreas, like, he would probably be able to speak to this better than I ever could. But, like, you know, like, obviously, like, in terms of the zoom screens, like there's only so much you can do like, and you know, there's some creative things you can do in terms of virtual backgrounds. Is, yeah. I mean, there's just so much you can do with live theater that you can't do with zoom to some extent, that's vice versa in terms of like international audiences and for that matter, international artists, like, but in terms of live theater, like I really, really don't want to give it away, but like, Andreas, I've only I've seen the first two weeks of rehearsals. Our director, Andreas Gajardo Bastido, he um he's coming up with some really, really like I'm tempted to say innovative. I don't know if that's a little too far. Like, I don't know if that'll make me come off arrogant as a producer, but like, I mean, it looks really, really cool. And 
it's been unlike anything I you could it's unlike anything you could do on Zoom and it's also like yeah, I mean the choreography is just amazing. Like it's there's some it's it's I, I mean I'm trying to figure out the words to describe it, Ryan. Like it's one of those things they like should have sent a pilot. It's real listen, it, it's it's not gonna be a traditional show. That's all I'm gonna say. That's if you're like going a- into it expecting like a traditional play, you know, maybe there's some moments that might feel that way, but by and large, like Yeah. It's uh, this is something else. Well, yeah, just the scope of what you've written and the amount of time it traverses, the battle, big battle scenes. I hope it's not a spoiler to say that there are large battle scenes like that. No. It seemed yeah. very ambitious on the page, so I will be very excited now knowing that I can see it tuned in on the virtual yeah. staging to see how this all pans out. Oh. And I do encourage anyone who is uh, close enough or accessible enough to see it in the room to probably do so because it sounds very exciting. Please. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, there's, I'm, I mean, I've seen a few live shows. I'm actually, as of this recording, like at like 8 p.m. tonight. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing another show after this. That's next on my schedule after today's interview. But, right. um, you know, there's, and it's been a thrill. And, but there's nothing like making live theater. Mm-hmm. And I, but I, but at the same time, also know there's also nothing like being an audience member. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I hope you'll come see it in person if you're in New York. So, and if you're following us on social media at One on Prior to God, there's a good chance maybe you do, but because well, you will see it there. Well, I think they this, will see this interview. Well, yeah, this is kind of a perfect uh, note to sort of wrap us up on. So the show opens on November 11th and runs until the 21st. Correct me if that's wrong. Um, but where can people buy tickets? And you've just hinted at the social handles, but where can people follow for updates? Okay, so the ticket link is a, a little bit long, so I will send it to you for the yes, show it'll notes. It'll be in the but description I won't, the show notes for sure. Yeah, so I won't say it because it's a bunch of numbers and letters, but um, it will be in the show notes. So I'll set, make sure I'll send it to you. But um, you can also go to www.thetanknyc.org. We're presenting it. For those of you who aren't familiar, out there who are, are watching or listening who aren't familiar with The Tank, they produce tons of shows each year by independent artists like myself and my team of people working with me on this production. And, you know, they do a lot of great stuff and yeah, it runs November 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th. Uh, I forget the exact, uh, you can go look that, up the exact that information. Will be it's www.thetanknyc.org. Yeah. Yeah, so Go to their calendar section and there should be options both for in-person tickets and streaming tickets. And if you go to the November calendar page, my show's there. So, yeah. <laughs> and also um, social media. Um, Facebook is just One Empire Under God and Instagram is at One Empire Under God. I like to keep things pretty simple. And if you really want to follow me, mm-hmm. don't we know why si- you would. Yeah, we always sign off with allowing the interviewee <laughs> to plug their own socials. So go for it. <laughs> Um, for anyone who's that crazy, um, at Anthony J. Piccioni on Instagram. Um, I was on Twitter too, but I quit a few months ago because too toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can go to my website, www.anthonyjpiccioni.com. You can sign up for my email newsletter. I update that. I try and update that pretty regularly. And yeah. So, and I hope you'll come see the show. And I hope you'll also watch after this if you haven't yet. Mm-hmm. Our actors. Yes. 
that's going to be coming up in just a couple days after this one goes live. So we're excited to have that conversation. Awesome, well. awesome. Perfect. And to dive a little deeper into the, the meat and potatoes of actually being in the show. So we're really looking forward to that. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate having you here and taking the time to talk to you about the show. And I encourage, once again, all of our, our viewers and listeners to tune into the show one way or another if you can, because it sounds very exciting. And I, I'm really looking forward to seeing it myself. Thank you very much, Ryan. I appreciate it. Have a have a great night, everyone. Take care. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye. <laughs>